0: I want to talk about a mature response to serving. If you can go to 1 Corinthians 12. You know, it's a funny thing growing up in the ministry, growing up in ministry and then walking away from God and then coming back to God and going into ministry. And I kept saying no every time they asked me and I had to get over myself and just do what the Lord had called me to do. And now we we love it, we're living the dream. But what I've noticed is that with many people, when it comes to serving, particularly in churches... There's such sometimes an emphasis on advancing the kingdom, advance the kingdom, advance the kingdom, that I've seen many people get hurt through over-serving or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I was saying to my wife the other day, it's amazing when we talk, people get so caught up in the kingdom cause, which they should be. It's something that we actually give our life to, even to the point of death. That's the Bible. But sometimes we get so kingdom-focused in a good sense that we get so focused on building the kingdom that we forget the results of why the kingdom came, or the fruit of why the kingdom came, things like family, things like marriage, things like children. And it's like I've seen some of that suffer in some people's lives because they're permanently somewhere else. And I just want to encourage you, yes, we are called to serve. Yes, we are called to do these things. But if there's been that history in your heart, take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord, because if we can build something big, in a sense, with God, if the family falls apart, everything you've built falls apart. Family is is very important. So I just wanted to felt like God wanted me to say that. So 1 Corinthians 12, how do we respond maturely to serving? Well, we'll look at some scripture, then I'll give you some practical pointers, and then we're going to try to be done a little early today. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know, the word gifts is actually not there in the original. It just says now concerning the spiritual. We added the word gifts. Now, the text is about gifts. And later on, it mentions the word gifts many, many times. But in the original Greek, it's not there. It just says concerning the spiritual, concerning that which has to do with the spirit, concerning that which has to do with the blowing of the wind and the breath of God, does what he wants, goes where he pleases. So the Corinthians, the people in the Corinthian church were having such displays of power and such uh, demonstrative displays of salvation and healing and tongues and many things that uh, Paul was writing to give some explanation. And let me just remind us that We don't, sometimes we get so stuck in terms of boxing things, these people were operating in things that they didn't know what they were called for many years, up to 20 years, 26 years, before Paul clarified what was actually going on. It was through relationship. And then Paul, God speaks to Paul very clearly through the Holy Spirit. Actually, he goes to heaven, the Bible speaks about that, and gives him the truth of what's going on there, it's this. And even that came through relationship. And so he writes to the Corinthians to help them bring some clarity, and he says, concerning the spiritual, all things to do with the spirit, and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Then he gives a list of gifts, which we're not going to get into now. Let's pick up in verse 12. It says, "'For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ.' This is a very repetitive text, so it's like Paul saying, I want you to get this. We're going to read the whole thing. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. That's actually salvation. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. That's what Jesus said. If anyone thirsts let them, come to me. I have living water. It's salvation. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members. I underline that in my Bible. God set the members. Not you. Not me. God. He's the one who set them. You're going to do this. You're going to... God set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as we pleased. Oh no, wait. <laughs> just as he pleased. Okay, it's very simple. And if there were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You know, friends, I see it. It's a major move that comes up every 20, 30 years. It's nothing new. You know, this. I don't really believe in the church, but I love Jesus. It's an old heresy, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. You can be the most powerful organ in the body. You can be like the heart. Without you, we all die. But a heart by itself is not a heart. It's nothing. The Bible says we cannot say, I have no need of you. I cannot say I have no need of Marie, I cannot say I have no need of Kayleen. I cannot say that, because then I've, I've misunderstood something very, very important in the body of Christ. We need each other. We're better together. We work together. We live together. We serve together. I've always said we're going we're gonna to be living together forever in eternity, so we need to learn to actually get along. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, I know no, in heaven it's going to be different. but. We cannot say to another member of the body, I have no need of you. We just cannot. So let's go to verse 22. Now much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Another underline. God composed the body. Having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body or no division, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. It's interesting to me, especially people that believe in the first part of this passage, the gifts. And the supernatural wonderful works of God, which we believe in very much and practice and actually demonstrate, which I think we should. But it's interesting that people get strange. Can I just be real? You know, they get weird in terms of if a person doesn't get healed, we start to attack that person. It's just strange. Well, you don't believe, or you, and we start to attack that person. But the Bible says if one suffers, we all are with them, weep with them, we walk with them. If one rejoices... It's funny, in the body of the Christ, one gets promotion in a job, or one gets, suddenly God starts to use them very powerfully, and so the insecure want to pull them down so I can, it's just the opposite of Scripture. We rejoice with them. We say, thank goodness God's doing that in you, because the kingdom can advance. That's the body, that's a family model. It's a family mentality. I constantly tell my two boys, together you're a team. And I constantly tell them, you can't do what he can do, and you can't. And so when you work together, and it's interesting, I'm a bit afraid about them attacking people together when they're older. I'm going to have to (laughs) explain that to them. But they are different. They are different. And it's good to celebrate that. Amen. Now, in the Corinthian church, in the Corinthian church, what was happening, Paul's using a physical example. What was actually happening was there were people with certain gifts that are more, demonstrative, specifically maybe the gift of tongues, because that was new, that was added in the New Testament, or the gifts of miracles or healings or whatever. And they were kind of looking down on those with lesser gifts. And that's why Paul wrote that. That's why Paul wrote that, about honor. God decides, not us. Amen? So, and the Bible says in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We receive gifts to serve, to serve others. Supernatural gifts and practical gifts to serve. And sometimes when there's this thing going on like it is going on in the body of Christ where there's the different gifts and we're looking down and we forget, number one, that it's a gift, not a wage. A wage is something you earn. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Even practical things, even natural talents, you're born with them. So you bring your strength to the family so that we can flourish. Amen? And the Bible says, as we read, God has set the members, each one of them the body, just as he pleased. He designed that there should be no division, no schism, or no divide, that there should be no over-honoring in the way that we deem, but honoring in the way that he deems, that there's no one above another, just different parts of a body. But he's the head, or the body. But then in verse 27, people say, well, now look, now there's rankings, So let's go to verse 27. Verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles. People are like, yep, they're the most important. That's a natural mind. That's not the mind of Christ. We have this linear. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, then helps, administrations, and variety of tongues. And then he asks us all these questions, the reader, in a sense to make sure that we understand that the answer is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. Then he confuses us again, but now you say best. Earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So there appears to be rankings, but it's actually very practical, which I'll point out in a moment. But God's focus, I believe, God's focus is the health of the whole. Is the health of the whole for the return of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's his focus. The health of the whole body for the return of Jesus Christ. The rankings for me are very practical. That's even the wrong word. He says, first, apostles. Why? Apostles just means sent ones. The commission is to go to all the ends of the earth. Well, if we send no one, that's not going to happen. The prophets receive revelation. All the prophetic people receive revelation. They were moving away from the law at this time, away from the Judaic law. They didn't know how to live. They needed revelation. Acts 15. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Everything was now by relationship with revelation. So they needed revelation. The prophets get revelation. Then teachers. The teachers begin to equip and to teach to make plain what God is saying. Then miracles and, in a sense, power gifts. Why? Because that comes to confirm the word. What's just been taught by the teacher. It's very practical. And then helps and administration. What? Helps and administration after miracles? We have to understand, for many people, the absolutely essential gifts of helps and administration takes all of that, the apostolic, prophetic, the fun, the power, the, yeah, it takes all of that and gives it traction. Otherwise, it tends to just go round and round. You knows what I'm, talking about yeah they give attraction they make it understandable they take something spiritual and give it order without that there's no order and all sorts of things go strange There needs order one of the the fundamental truths of who God is is that God is spirit in the in the in the first um, verse of the bible spirit of God hovered over the waters and he spoke and what happened he took the spiritual and it says he made order from the spiritual, from the supernatural, should always result in order. Always. Then he obviously goes the most excellent way, which is love, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. So we read that really fast. And then we go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, and we see, we see the motive. But before we go there, when he says desire the best gifts, you know that word best is the word kraton. It comes from the word kratos in the Greek. The word kraton very simply means that which is most advantageous. That's actually what it means. That's which is most advantageous to bring power, to bring strength. That's what it means in the Greek. And then we see the motive of that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Even so, since you are zealous for the spiritual, again, the gifts is not there, but that's what it's talking about, for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So, when you look at the gifts of the Lord in all its various forms, the Bible says grace of God is various forms. The most excellent way is love. Because no matter what's happening, power, no power, bad preaching, good preaching, good worship, no matter what's happening, love. Love this way and this way, the most excellent way. But there are various forms of God's grace And the Bible says that the desire that we have to excel in these should be for what purpose? For the edification of the whole, for the edification of the body, for the excelling of the church. Does it say the lost or does it say the church? Church, very interesting. For the thriving of the bride of Christ, for the thriving of the body of Christ. Not Evangelism, obviously that's the mission. But evangelism becomes very difficult when you're bringing people to a community that is broken. Where there's no order, where there's no life. So he's given these gifts, these abilities, these, the ways we see differently. I look at a room, I see certain things. My wife looks at a room, she sees very different things. He's given us all these differences so that the body can thrive. Very, very important. Because a thriving community, a thriving body with, yes, spiritual things, but also with excellence. is very attractive to the world. For the church to not be ignorant about the spiritual... Because everyone thinks order negates the supernatural. No, friends. It's the result of the supernatural. To not be ignorant about the supernatural. To take care of one another. And to value excellence so that it's done for the king. That's what service looks like in a body. That's what it should look like. Now, practical helps. Encouragements toward healthy service. Healthy. Just a few things. Number one serve Him. Serve Him. Not me, not the people here. Serve Him. Colossians 3, verse 14 to 17, I'll just read, I think it's verse 16. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Jesus. That's talking about the context there is serving one another. It's talking about believers. Whatever you do, do it for Him. Then let's take it further, let's take it into our workplace. Because the next verse, in verse 22 to 23, is actually talking about when you're serving under a master, under an employer. Whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not as to men. We are called to serve Him. Him, friends, Him. Yes, others may benefit. 1 Peter 4.10 said... With whatever gifts you receive, serve each other. But even when others benefit, we have to understand that it's still serving Christ. Why? Let's go to Acts chapter 9. I'll just tell you. It's such an interesting text. Paul is breathing threats of murder against the church. And so a blinding light hits him off his high horse, and he falls down. And this voice comes, which is the Lord, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Fascinating. He knew he was God, knew he was Lord, just didn't know who he was. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Was Saul persecuting Jesus? No, he was hurting Christians. Why? Because it's his body. You touch Christians, you touch Jesus. We are his body. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting because you're touching my body, therefore you're touching me. It was like a little needle, (laughs) like a tiny little guy stabbing Jesus in the side. And eventually Jesus was like, you know what, I'm done with that. Flick Paul off the, you know, no. And wonderful things happen, obviously, with Paul. But Jesus saw it as persecution to himself. So even when we serve one another, yes, they benefit, but in my heart, I'm serving the king. Very, very important to understand, to hold that in your heart, because when we don't hold that in our heart, offense comes quickly, 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 quickly. I know what that's like. I've served and served and served sometimes to no end. And offense comes very, very, very quickly. Jesus even said it, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. I used to, and I understand this, I worked at a church in South Africa where I was kind of expected to serve in such ways that... Um, you know, for a long time I took offense. I used to get up at 4 a.m. on Friday morning because the elders would come to pray at 6. And I used to get up at 4 a.m. because it just to take me an hour to open all the different rooms and then go and set up all the tea and coffee. And the, we had this big, like one of those big industrial urns with boiling water, you know. And heat that up. That took an hour. So by the time they walked in at 6 to pray, everything was set up and I was gone. And then they would come back. I would come back after they were gone and I would clean everything up. And I would pack down chairs like this that had to stack between 800 to 1,000 chairs. And I would vacuum that in massive place by hand and then set it up for youth, which I would then lead. And after that, I would pack everything back, go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it worked in my insecurities because my insecurity was to please men. I didn't know it, but that's actually what was going on. And I got very upset, obviously, and offended. And the Lord put his finger on the insecurity. But why do you do it? For who do you do it for? Why do you do it? And I started to do it for Him. And I started to look so forward. Now, I didn't always have to do all of that, but I started to do it for Him, and I started to look so forward to it. Because then I started to worship and sing and hear His voice, and while I did stuff, it was for Him. So when we serve Him, it's actually a revealer of where you are at with the Lord. Because if we do it for men, that doesn't happen in our heart. When I do it for Him, even if others benefit, when I do it for Him, Ah, friends, there's there's joy in it. There's glory in it. There's life in it. Because it was in that season that I learned his presence and his voice so clearly. Because I was doing something mundane. To serve healthily, to serve in a healthy way, I encourage you, serve him. Him. There were all sorts of people here yesterday doing all sorts of stuff. Serving and serving and serving. And it's an amazing thing. But God is doing something in this body. I don't even know what it is, but God's at work. He really is. But we still have a very few number of people that are serving to the point of exhaustion. And I always tell people, it doesn't bring God glory to burn out for him. So we need the body. My desire is 100% of us do something. Even if it's tiny, it's something. That's my desire. So then second point of just being serving healthily. Serve Him, him and then serve him in the spirit. Romans 7 says this, Romans 7, 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We were married to the law, the Bible says. When I died with Christ, I am crucified with Christ through salvation, demonstrated in baptism. That marriage to the old, that marriage to the law, that marriage to the Old Testament in a sense was made null and void and I'm raised a new creature in Christ, righteous and my husband becomes Jesus Christ as the bride of Christ. That's awesome. So the Bible says when you serve, serve in the newness, serve from the new man, serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Simply put, serve from a place of love, don't serve because you fear punishment if you don't. That's the oldness of the letter. If I don't serve, God's going to. If I don't serve, the pastor's going to. If I don't serve, that's the oldness of the letter. Don't serve from that place. It will bring death to you. You serve in the newness of the Spirit, in the newness from the new man, which is I serve because I love him, because I serve him. I serve him. Hebrews 9 puts it this way. 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience... From dead works to what? To serve the living God. Dead works is the rituals of the law that were required, otherwise, punishment, rituals of the law that could not bring life or any change to a human heart. And many people have expressed service in a church context like that. They serve almost forced to, they serve almost like a ritual. But it doesn't bring life, it doesn't change the heart, it doesn't bring community the Bible says when you serve, serve in the newness of the spirit understand that you are a bride, that he is greatly drawn to you, that he loves you, his love is full and free and you serve him because you love him and people benefit but you serve him in the newness of the spirit. I trust this is helpful to you. So number three, we've got two more, I'll be very quick with these two. Number three, serve unto fruit it's an amazing verse John 12, verse 24 to 27. I'll read 26. Serve unto fruitfulness. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Not me, Clayton, Jesus. Okay. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father, him my father will honor. Now, it says servant, but we serve as sons, not as servants. Who's watched Downton Abbey? okay? I only watched that many years ago. I didn't finish it. But um, the Lord gave me this example. You know, the servants in that series, they know every, every corner, every nook and cranny of that house, yeah? The guests don't. People who serve in God's house become accustomed to all of God's house. But the son owns the whole estate. When you have a son who chooses to serve. You have a son. It's like a business where he starts in the mailroom and ends up as a CEO because he's the son. He has rights. He has the the right to the estate, but he wants to rule and to to rule well, so he starts to serve in the mailroom so that he knows at every level of that company what's going on. A son who chooses to serve knows everything about God's house, knows everything where everything in God's house is, but yet he has ownership of the estate. Jesus said, when you serve in that way, him who serves me... It has two incredible promises. The context there, if you look just the verse before, is unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it shall bear no fruit. Sometimes God gives us something very precious and we have to sow it and it dies and it's painful in here. And sometimes that sowing in service can be difficult to take you through a death process. But resurrection comes after death. Amen. And then he says these are these two incredible promises. He says, if you serve this way, Number one, promise is his presence. Where my servant is, I will be there. There's this closeness, his presence. The second is I cannot fathom, I cannot understand it, to be honest with you. He says, when you serve me, him who serves me, him, my father, will honor. I don't even know what that can look like, where God the Father begins to honor you. I think of Daniel, maybe, O man greatly beloved. Him, my father, will honor, because you've sowed something in service. And it's died, but it's brought forth much grain. And lastly, in serving, we get to co-labor. This is a fascinating one. I'll quickly turn to the scripture, John chapter 2. This is the first miracle, the wedding in Cana, Galilee. You know the story, Jesus turned the water to wine. Yep, who knows the story? Everyone who goes to wineries loves that story. Say, well, you know, Jesus turned the water to wine. First thing he did, we should go to a winery. So Jesus turned the water into wine, and it was a lot of wine, let me tell you. John chapter 2, his mother says, you know, Jesus will do this, and he says, Mother, this is not my time, and she basically ignores him, (laughs) and says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I feel like one day I want to stand up and preach, how do you walk with the Lord? And I want to read that verse. Whatever he says to you, do it, and then I'm going to go home. That's it. Whatever he says, do that. He says, now there were six water pots of stone. And Jesus says, to fill the water pots with water. They were big water pots. And they were filled to the brim. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. When they took it, when the master of the feast tasted the water, that it was made wine, he did not know where it came from. But then in brackets, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. It's fascinating to me that those who had positioned themselves to serve were the first people in the New Testament who got to see the miracle of Christ, the miracle, the miraculous. They were the first. It wasn't the master, it wasn't the important people, it wasn't the preacher, it wasn't the pastor, it wasn't the president, it wasn't, it was those who chose to serve. God will come into your mundane life when we serve and will co-labor with you and you get to witness God moving into the natural and changing hearts and doing things. Only the servants knew. They were carrying the water. They were the only ones in history who knows what that looks like, where they watched the water turn. Because they were serving. It's an amazing thing. It's amazing. But what was the thing? Whatever he says to you, do it. Serve him. Whatever he says, do it. It says his glory was thus revealed, and his disciples put their faith in him. That's a greater miracle than the wine. That when we position ourselves to serve, we get the privilege of watching God come into a human heart and change destiny in a moment because they put their faith in him. That happens when you're serving in God's house, all of God's house. You see God move into the natural, move into the very mundane things. They was expected to wash people's hands and feet with that stuff. Very simple. But an amazing, amazing truth. The privilege of serving, friends, is, is a privilege. Now, if you've been hurt by serving, I encourage you to work that through with the Lord. I was hurt by serving. But the truth of my life was I was hurt by serving because I did it from an insecure place. I did it for men to see and I wanted to please men. And when I worked that through, I started to serve him, life came to me. Life. Now, I believe people should be thanked and honored. But, you know, even in that, there's trouble, right? You all know it. Because you say, I want to thank this person and that person and that person because of a desire to honor. And because you're a human being, you forget the one person. And then you got a firestorm. (laughs) It's just weird that the body of Christ has got to that place. Hello? It's like, well, you thanked everyone but me. People need to be thanked. People need to be honored. But we do it for him. We do it for him. We serve each other meaning we serve the Lord. So I, I want to encourage you to go and sign up. I'm, I really think that even if you're an incredibly busy person and commute, there's something small that you can do. Yeah, my wife's going to bring an end, but I wonder if before we do that, can I pray for you guys? Can I pray? Let me just say this. I feel there's just a ministry moment here. If you feel have you been hurt by being overworked in the church or in the kingdom, this is a moment here, I believe to just say to the Lord, Lord, help me make the shift. Help me make that shift where i do it for you. Because you know what freedom there is? Because when you do it for him, it's actually, you can say no. You can actually say, I can't do that right now. But I can do this. But I, because you do it for him. So it's not working on your insecurity. Hello? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that no one is above the other. I thank you that it is you who compose the body. It is you who put the members in place. And that it is your body, Jesus, and that you are the head. We believe that you want a thriving body. And Lord, we are aware that you are at work in Free Life Church, but we are a part of the whole. We are a part, Lord. And I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for all the healings, the testimonies. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for just doors opening all over the place. I thank you, Lord. But, Lord, our heart is for Jesus Christ. And, Lord, that this body would thrive because we love one another the most excellent way. We care for one another. And I pray that where there's been hurt right now, Lord, that you would bring healing to that area that you would bring healing. Thank you, Lord.